When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Hello, everyone. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, June 19th, after the Cubs. Brendan, print the papers, put it on the marquee. They have won a series. They take two of three from the streaking Braves. The Cubs also came in streaking. The losing streak is over. The series loss streak is over. The uh, embarrassment, at least tabled (laughs) for now, now. right? They delivered for a weekend. They won some baseball games. They did. For a brief second, I thought, are we going to sweep the Braves? Like, is this yeah. actually going to happen? But to their credit, they they pitched well in the first two games, and they put up quality at bats there to make it competitive. So good for the Cubs. They did not embarrass us. Congratulations. Yeah, and I think uh, our guy Ryan Herrera, when he joined us uh, at the on the episode at the end of the last series, he said, you know, as baseball would have it, it it often <laughs> plays out in a in a funny way that the Cubs, having lost ten in a row would win a series uh, against a team that was coming in winning 14 games in a row. Ryan, you nailed that one. So kudos to you on that one. He willed it into existence from from the press box at Wrigley Field. Um, But yeah, Brennan, I mean, look, this was a a nice weekend. Uh, Sunday, the finale doesn't go the Cubs' way. It would have been nice to sweep... um, but it was just, it was good to have some some good vibes back around this team. And I think, you know, we kind of talked about this last week, especially for me when I was in the studio with Cody and Luke when they lost, you know, what was it, 19 to 5 to the Padres in that mm-hmm. one. It, it you know, those games and those streaks, it's it's hard even when we're really trying to, to focus on the good, the silver linings, the important stuff for the future. And so it was nice to like win some games and even, you know, it's a whatever loss on Sunday, like you can still look back in the series and say, okay, we are going to focus on Keegan Thompson's dominant outing, Justin Steele pushing through that fifth inning to get the W on Saturday, um, you know, and, and the other good stuff that we saw this weekend, because there wasn't, you know, this kind of bigger cloud hanging around like the overall performance it's just nice to to win some games settle things down a little bit it is and the guys feel better about it too I remember looking at Keegan Thompson's last star where he struggled and the the post game uh interviews he was taking and you don't want to see young guys be that demoralized right so of course you want to you want the Cubs to win games but when you win games it's a byproduct of these guys succeeding so they go hand in hand so it's it's good as a contrast, as he can talk about the success he had against the Braves, against the hottest team in the league, and he played game stopper, Corey. Like, he was a big yeah. pitcher on that day, and he came through. Yeah, we're going to get into that a lot. Um, I have been waiting, actually, to talk to Brendan Ooh. about what was going on with Keegan Thompson, uh, because the whiff numbers were off the charts, uh, the especially... Best in contrast to his previous couple outings uh, that definitely were not going that way. So we're going to break that down. Justin Steele, Kyle Hendricks, uh, not so great of an outing on Sunday. So we'll talk about that Uh, and everything in between. Some roster stuff looming. Uh, At some point here, the Cubs need to get down to 13 pitchers as part of the MLB roster rules. So they're going to have a decision to make there. Uh, some stuff going on. But, you know, overall, Brendan, like I went to the game on um, Saturday and it was beautiful weekend in Chicago, by the way. 
uh, earlier in the week, it had been like 95, 98 mm-hmm. degrees, just awful. Uh, picture perfect day on Saturday. It's like 67 degrees, just absolutely perfect at Wrigley Field. Had some beers at Murphy's, you Look know, the you. vibes. You got a day. The vibes were just good. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the team isn't good. They're not going anywhere, but nice to win some games, watch some some baseball at beautiful historic nice. Wrigley Field, blue skies in Chicago. <laughs> you know, it's good. It's good. It was good. It is good. Um yeah, but let's uh, we'll do a quick rundown of these three games, set the table here, and then we will uh, kick things off by talking about Keegan Thompson um, on Friday. As as I just said, it was a one to nothing win led by Keegan Thompson. Uh, six innings, just two hits, no earned runs, two walks, and nine strikeouts. Lowers his season ERA to 3.27. He threw 92 pitches in this game, and Brendan is going to break down every single oh, yeah. one of them. I've been waiting to do this, Corey. <laughs> Thank you. I, how, how long of a podcast would that have to be? Okay, pitch one was a fastball on the outside corner. What I liked about this pitch... <laughs> I was that's a, a different. A, a solid three hours. We can start a new yeah. uh, a new podcast just for that, Corey. That's on the CHGO Patreon account. Ooh, you have to pay extra that. for yeah. for that. Brendan we, will do a whole four hour breakdown yeah, of we could, we every. We can pose pitch. that idea. We'll see if it passes. Yeah, and then we also had uh, in this game, Keegan Thompson was followed by you know maybe you can call them this the trade group of uh, <laughs> Michael Givens, Chris Martin, and David Robertson, all with scoreless and hitless single innings of work. A few walks mixed in there, but whatever. Nobody cares. Chris Martin actually picks up his first win of the year. David Robertson, his eighth save of the season. The Cubs get their lone run in this one on Mr. Clutch, a uh, an RBI sack fly from Christopher Morell in the bottom of the eighth inning, coming through with the situational hitting you that go. you need. Similar to when he did it against the Brewers. Uh, he, he didn't have a hit in this game. He actually struck out three times, but you love to see a rookie and someone as young as Christopher Morell have that that presence of mind, knows the situation, puts the bat on the ball, gets it deep enough in the outfield, Cubs win the game. One to yep. nothing. Simple stuff. Saturday, it was a 6-3 to three Cubs win led by Justin Steele, his second win of the year. Five innings, five hits, two earned, three walks, and three strikeouts. He gives up a homer but lowers his season ERA to 4.27. We will talk about that. Uh, I think the overall effort and looking at, you know, his sort of season lines now, I think bigger than, you know, just looking at each individual stat line. The Cubs getting their runs in this 6-3 win on a Jonathan VR single, a Wilson Contreras single, a Jason Hayward bloop double, a Christopher Morell double play that brought in a run, and Rafael Ortega's third home run of the season. On Sunday, it was a 6-0 loss. As I said, not a great outing from Kyle Hendricks. Four and a third, eight hits, six earned, one walk, and six strikeouts. Two, uh, Two of those hits are home runs. Sixth loss of the season for Kyle, his ERA sitting at 5.43. He was followed uh, in an interesting outing by Adrian Sampson, who recently rejoined the team. Four and two-thirds, one hit, no runs, no walks, and five strikeouts for Sampson, who got a lot of whiffs on the afternoon. So something to, uh, you know, at least put on your radar, I suppose. And the Cubs did not score any runs in this game, so I don't have any runs to report, though I will note Ian Happ went two for three in this game with a walk. He continues to have a really stellar season, as we have tried to remind y'all of uh, pretty frequently. So that kind of breaks it down, Brendan, but I want to dive right into Keegan Thompson because, you know, I'll, I'll turn it to you on on the whiff stuff, but I, I wanted to follow up a point that, that you made already, and that was the sort of... Uh, stopper mentality mm-hmm. that Keegan had on Friday and and how big that is. And it's one of those things that is really important in a year like this for someone like Thompson who, you know, has has been a reliever, he's been a starter, he's kind of going back and forth. Now he's he's in that starter spot. But to get that experience, not only of being in the rotation, but also have the opportunity to come in on a day like Friday, your team has lost 10 games in a row, right? And there's that old adage of like, you're only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. They needed him to have that outing. They've needed somebody to have that outing for weeks. And Keegan Thompson gave it to him, Brendan. 
I mean, that's exactly what you want from a stopper, that attitude to go out there, who wants the ball to take it into his own hands. You can you can almost apply that mindset to a playoff scenario. And to me, when you have someone who has like this stuff, like Keegan does have, and then you match that with the attitude and mindset, I mean, that that's that's where moments are made, right? So his his start was remarkable for a few reasons. You, you brought the whiffs up. He had 18 whiffs, Corey. Yeah. That's extremely significant. That's the most whiffs in any outing in his career by far. I don't know what the uh, the previous number was, but this is obviously way above what he's I done. think it might have been 14 in, in, in one of his outings Still, in last September. Having an extra four on this yeah. is, is, is very significant. And it was also the highest number for any Cubs starter this season. There you go. So Keegan Thompson doing many different things for the first time this season. So his pitch breakdown, what he did differently uh, was, one, establish the four-seamer, use the cutter off his four-seamer. He threw 52% four-seamers, followed by 22% cutters. In his previous outing, where he got roughed up a little bit, we talked about how he did not establish that four-seamer, and weirdly, he went to his sinker, which was very bizarre to me because he basically has not used a sinker at all outside of his past three to four starts. And that signal, he was not comfortable with that four-seamer in his previous outing. This one, though, went back to the four-seamer, went back to the cutter. The four-seamer had 10 whiffs, like remarkable 10 whiffs. Cutter had seven whiffs. So those are your 17 whiffs right there. And then he did sprinkle in a few change-ups. He showed the curveball in 10% of his pitches. And then he sprinkled in a few sinkers. There was one pitch, though, Corey, and we're going to talk about this and some caveats to go with it. Uh, he threw nine sliders. And when I see something so weird like this, I'm trying to figure out what happened. Why is this being classified as a slider? And like, I think we needed to hear Keegan talk about it, but I don't see the data being like wrong here. And this is the reason why. Number one, sometimes your cutters can be misclassified as sliders. Sometimes your curveballs might be misclassified as sliders. But the velo difference between his slider and cutter is six miles per hour. That is a, a huge margin. And then the velo difference between his cutter, or rather his slider and his curveball, is three miles per hour. Also very different. And then when you look at the range, the minimum and the maximum velo of the cutter, slider, and curveball, the range for slider is not overlapping the ranges for cutters or curveballs. And neither are the vertical breaks. So the vertical break range, the minimum, the maximum, they're not overlapping the cutter or the curveball. So it appears as if this, this might be a new pitch, seriously. And we'll, we'll... I, I, I was sort of waiting for you because I think <laughs> as you were going along with that, I, I think you buried the lead of why it's interesting <laughs> that he threw a slider. And yeah. the interesting part is that he previously did not throw a slider. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is the first time any of his pitches have been classified as a slider. I'm like, I don't want to say, oh, look at this. He's throwing a new slider because sometimes, uh, like the classification can be missed, but that's why I'm going over like the vertical break and the velo differences mm-hmm. in the range, because from that perspective, it, it does appear quite different. So the, even wh- if he, even if he wouldn't call it a slider, yeah. it's a different variation something. of something he's already throwing. Something, something was new. Yes. Yeah. Something was new. And pitchers have done this in years past where they change up the pressure on one of their fingers and their cutters. Um, even Matt Swarmer has two different versions of the slider. You Darvish had like, I think three versions of his cutter and slider. So p- uh, pitchers do this, but I would like to hear Keegan from his own mouth say, yes, something was different to this breaking pitch. So let's wait and see. Um, he did not get any whiffs on that pitch, but it's possible that the cutter played off that slider. Um, and then one other note here, and I'll turn it back to you, Corey, which I find really significant, is Keegan's four-seam fastball is playing way better this year, like way better. And there's a few reasons why that's possibly happening. The first reason is he's getting more carry on the pitch. Uh, last season, he had about 15 inches of what's called induced vertical break. You don't really want that like, induced vertical break because you want those rising fastballs. Think of Rowan Wick. This year, he has 13 inches of induced vertical break. Um, 
So his fastball is rising a little bit more. And then the like spin axis is actually complementing that rising action. And also over this, this is a cool little feature over the past three months. And compared to last year, he's gradually getting more comfortable throwing those four seamers up in the zone and against the Braves. That's where he got the majority of his whiffs were up in the zone, uh, even outside up in the zone. And to start the season in April, if you look at the average uh, location of his four seamer, it averaged 2.5 feet um, above home plate in April. And then in May, it was 2.6 feet. And then in this month, it's 2.8 feet, Corey, which is the highest by far of his any any month in, in his career. So he's getting more comfortable using a rising fastball, which is why possibly that four seamer is now being graded as above average. Eno Sarris put that out there last week uh, that the four seam is above average. And I believe last year wasn't being graded as such. So this is all to say, this this is a remarkable start from a results perspective, but also just continuing the evolution of his pitch repertoire and also seeing possibly like I think again, I want to hear him talk about it, but he has a new pitch type, a slider that was used nine times out of apparently nowhere, Corey. Yeah, and so on the the fastball too, um, he got ten whiffs with the fastball. Yep. Um, and a really good quote from Jan Gomes after the game, he said, "The big message today: just come out." and throw a lot of screw you fastballs. Like Just that. come out, give it everything you've got. So firstly, really digging Jan Gomes, right? Mm. We've talked about this before, but just really digging Jan Gomes. And uh, again, uh, I don't even feel like, should we even give the front office credit on this? Like congratulations to them for finally prioritizing giving Wilson Contreras a proper backup After catcher. After years, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess congratulations on finally, finally figuring that but one hey, out. But they did it, Corey, so I guess But maybe. yeah, loving the Jan Gomes experience so far for a ton of different reasons that we've talked about. But I love that quote because it also speaks to kind of what we were talking about, where it's just like you have that mentality of my team needs to win this game. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give them an outing. We're done losing, right? Like, and you know, look, the offense barely scratched one across, right? It took until the bottom of the eighth with Christopher Morell and a sack fly. But it just, in watching this, we've talked about this with Keegan before. He just has that mound presence of someone that belongs in this role, someone who is ready for these moments. And like you said, Brendan, wants the ball in these types of moments, in these types of game. And I like that that Jan Gomes quote to go around with it, where it's like, dude, trust your fastball and just go out there and throw it, mm-hmm. you know? Compete, 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 throw competitive pitches and, and do your thing. But what I want to ask you, Brendan, like looking at... Thompson's evolution and his is different than Steele's because Thompson spent so much of this season as kind of like that long weapon man from from the the bullpen. So you kind of have to like look at the full picture of where Thompson started this year and how we're getting here and all that other stuff. But what was so interesting and I, and I I I'm wondering if you have just any any thoughts on this like this outing where he strikes out nine guys, he sets a career uh you know record for whiffs generated in a game. This is coming after his two worst outings of the year. So on the 7th of June against Baltimore, uh, he throws three innings, five hits, seven runs, one walk, one strikeout. We pointed this out before. Equal walks to strikeouts in that one. Then against the Yankees, two-thirds of an inning, three hits, five runs, three earned. But again, the key thing, three walks, no strikeouts. So in those last two starts, it was four walks, to one strikeout. What yeah. what happened in yeah. this game? Right, I, you you pointed out this maybe slider or whatever it is, but I I, I don't think that that no, was the driving no, force because that wasn't getting all the whiffs. It's not right. So what happened in this game? Because it's not like this Atlanta. This is a team that won fourteen straight games. Right, they're the defending World Series champions. Right. You know, he's getting whiffs on Ozuna, Ronald Acuna, etc. Like big time hitters. Yeah. What happened? in this game that it was and now we also talked too that those two poor outings should not steer you away from the incredible work that he had done all you know back into April right yeah. but at the same time how did we go from those two to one of the best outings of his career Jan Gomes as you just described I think 
outlined it perfectly, a bunch of screw-you fastballs. If you look at the start against the Yankees and the start against the Orioles, of all the pitches he threw, Corey, only two were above the strike zone. Only two. That's pretty remarkable. Now, if you look at how many pitches he threw above the strike zone against the Braves, it was almost 15 to 20, Corey. So he was able, for some reason, it could be a feel thing. I, I have, I don't, I don't know. You would have to talk to Keegan to find out the the logic behind it. But for some reason, he was able to command that fastball so well on top of the zone, and then the cutter played off beautifully from that four seam on top of the zone. And as we were talking about a few minutes ago, it appears as if Keegan has over the last about six weeks or so kind of gradually gone with his fastball higher at least in the strike zone and on top of the strike zone this might be the next step in his evolution where he continues to throw those fastballs higher in the zone with greater frequency and maybe Jan Gomes is kind of that trigger point to make him do that more fair enough yeah I just think it it's it's kind of a remarkable contrast um and again, you know, those those two poor outings hopefully were learning experiences. And prior to that, he had been obviously lights out for this team. So it, it shouldn't have changed the thinking or anything. It just is is such a, a stark change. Um, you know, his previous start was that one against the Yankees, his worst mm-hmm. outing of the year, comes back and he's he's a whiff yeah. machine. And I don't want to field on Friday. I don't want to make excuses because it's not excuse, but these are learning experiences. He just got into the rotation. You are traveling to the East Coast. I don't know if that has a you know a, an effect. The weather was a little bit weird. You are in Yankee Yankees. Yankees are also the best team in the league. Yeah, man. Yeah. So like you have to be, you have to recognize the human nature of these players, especially one who is learning how to pitch out of the rotation on like an every fifth day basis for the first time in his career. Right. Um, so that could be part of it too. Yeah, and, you know, also uh, fun to see, you know, that's his first uh, start of six innings on the season. There you go. So that's another one. Um, You know, again, like that's what this season is about. It's only June here, and we're talking about a really, really, I think, potentially pivotal outing in, in Keegan Thompson's career, and certainly in the discussion of you know, what his role is going forward. Um, Because when you're able to do what he did on Friday, especially amidst that context of a 10-game losing streak and just how awful some of those games were in that 10-game losing streak, like that's the kind of thing that, you know, if your, your sort of attention isn't already raised on whether this guy can be uh, a significant player on this pitching staff, uh, assuredly, but in this rotation, you know, Friday should have gotten your attention. And a break here from our sponsor, PointsBet. The best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you'll get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. But that's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you will receive a free CHGO membership which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free t-shirt from the CHGO Locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. And if you have any questions, you can email PointsBet at allchgo.com, and we'll help you out. Your home for live in-play betting just got even better. See an edge in the game you are watching. Is your favorite team prime for a comeback? Don't just watch the game. Bet along with it live. More live betting, more live markets, and faster live cash out. See why consumers say PointsBet has been the fastest with their live bets follow along with your bets the moment they hit and stay in the live action all game long download the points app right now and use promo code chgo you can download the points app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone so what are you waiting for it's time to elevate your live betting game once the game starts don't just bet live your bet live with points bet if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants to help call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services Second break here from our sponsor, Owen. I have to tell you about Owen, which stands for only what you need. Owen is a 100% plant-based protein shake that gives you nutrition that works as hard as you do. All of their products are free of artificial ingredients, allergen-friendly, no gluten or dairy, and easily digestible. I started drinking these. I see, I've seen a noticeable 
uh, uptick in like my energy early in the morning. Um, as you guys know, I've said this a few times now, I don't really eat a big breakfast. So having a protein shake is a perfect start to kickstart my day. And I actually first heard about Owen from Chicago Bears quarterback, Justin Fields, who follows a plant-based diet. Owen and CHGO have partnered up to give you an awesome offer. You can get 20% off your first purchase at liveowen.com with code CHGO20. Join me and Justin Fields and try Owen, only what you need. All right, Brendan. So let's turn from one homegrown starting pitcher to another, and let's talk about Justin Steele. Okay. A really solid outing mm-hmm. on Saturday, and I want to you know talk about what we saw from him and, and what you saw in terms of the pitch mix and things like that. Um, but he's he's on a nice run here, and yes. I, I think it, it it does warrant some attention. The the big thing that I loved in the game on Saturday was that fifth inning, and that was the last inning that he pitched in, and he it's the only inning that he gave up runs in. But what I loved about it uh, was one the decision from David Ross to let him pitch out of trouble. He got into some trouble, obviously giving up some runs in that inning. Um, he ends up at 90 pitches on the day. So as he's going through this this inning, it's pretty clear that this is going to be his last go. And it was four to nothing entering the inning. So once it's four to two, you know, the game is kind of on the line. And I liked the decision from Ross and Hadavi to let Steele work through this. And you have to love Steele working through it. Oh yeah. And he gets out of it. Did give up a couple runs, but he gets out of it and gets himself in line for the win, which ultimately the bullpen and, you know, the Cubs offense hold on to for him, and he gets the win. So that's one of those sort of big moments in a young guy's career, and especially as a developing starter, you want to see him get those chances, right? At some point, you like to see these guys get the opportunity and say, hey, you made a little bit of a mess here, game's on the line, you clean it up. (laughs) You know, we're not just going to take you out after four innings or anything like that. We need length. We want you to continue developing and and be able to pitch in these moments. And Steele rewarded the faith from Ross and Hadavi and got out of it, and they all get a win as a result. So love that. And, you know, you start looking at the game log, Brendan, um, especially as we, we get into May here, once he's really sort of settled into being a starter, stretched himself out completely after, you know, the kind of shortened off season, all that other stuff, he's put together some really solid starts. And I'm, I'm looking at a, a note from Bleacher Nation and, you know, Brett makes the same point that we would always make. You can't throw starts out, right? They all happen. They all count, you know, no matter the context or whatever, all the numbers count, right? But if you if you, if you do take one of them out, that two inning seven run performance in Cincinnati, which if you look at Steele's numbers, is a pretty clear outlier. He's had some short starts, right? He's still working on getting length in games consistently, but there's nothing else that really looks like that in terms of the runs allowed, right? Especially in only two innings. If you take that out, he's got a 3.32 ERA on the season. So again, you can take it out, but 4.27 if you keep it in, 3.3 if you take it out. It's just something worth noting, I think. And like you look at some of these starts, right? Like San Diego was seven innings, just one run. St. Louis, seven innings, just one run. Uh, five innings against the Brewers, three runs, then that disaster in Cincinnati on May 26th. But then before that was those two outings against Arizona, five innings, no runs, nine strikeouts, six innings, one run, 10 strikeouts. That's a lot of really good sounding starts uh, going back to early May, Brendan. So how are you feeling about Steele in general and then getting more specific what he did on Saturday against the Braves? I think it's been fascinating to follow both Steele and and Keegan, and it's fun to see their success start to line up here. And the contrast for those two, I think, is always going to be there for this season just because we're trying to figure out, okay, what do you have for 2023 and beyond? And both those guys have been used out of a long relief rule. Both those guys are being used now out of the rotation in almost – 
um, consecutive days at, at this point. So they're going to be compared. And another feature of their comparison, which is kind of funny because we've talked about a few minutes ago, Keegan going up in the zone with four-seam fastball scoring. Uh, Steele's doing the opposite. So whereas Keegan in April was throwing not as high four-seams, Steele in April was throwing really uh, high four-seams. His four-seam average pitch location was three feet above home plate. And then in May, it started to go down a little bit. It went down to 2.8 feet. And then in June, it's all the way down to 2.5. So he and Keegan have reversed. And you might remember, of course you remember, John Lester was the one who kind of nudged and highlighted the possible value of going down and in to right-handed batters with your fastball. And we're seeing Justin Steele do that now with higher frequency. And the data is starting to really back that up. And whereas Keegan has natural rise on his four seam, the same cannot be said with Justin Steele. Justin Steele has a little bit more of a natural cutting action to his four seam. So as a result, the book would say that Steele should not throw as many high four seams as someone as uh, Caleb Killian or Rowan Wick or Keegan Thompson, because those guys tend to have more natural rising action on their four seamers. So I'm wondering if as a result of Steele going down and in to right-handed batters, it's not the fact that he's just doing that as a strategic game plan, but unintentionally leaving himself less susceptible to getting hit hard up in the zone um, if he does miss his pitches. Like if he misses his fastball up in the zone, there's a greater probability that those pitches will get hit harder than pitches that are thrown similarly with similar miss, but have more rising action. And David Ross also said this, I believe two starts ago where Justin Steele was missing, but Ross described those misses as more competitive. And so that kind of triggered that thought to me. It's like, all right, well, if he's going to be going down and in to right-handed batters and missing his spot, then it's possibly leaving him less susceptible to, to hard contact. And then we finally saw him go back to more secondary offerings. You might remember, too, the last few times we talked about this. He was throwing heavy four-seams, like over 70% of his pitches were four-seams. Um, and that one start a few weeks ago, he threw basically exclusive four-seams. And then he started to throw a little bit more secondary pitches as his uh, start finished off in um, one of his final innings there. But we saw in this start against the Braves, he threw 60% four-seams. So back under 70% for the first time in this month. He did throw uh, 22 sliders, so he's, he used that slider a little bit more. He got the whiffs on those pitches, and overall, he limited the the hard contact. So another step in the right direction, Keegan throwing more high four seams, Steele doing the complete opposite. Those are, in my mind, the two most notable changes in their game. And so if you're watching those two guys pitch, at least that's where my attention is. Like if you're going to look at, okay, what are they doing differently? Why are they having success? It appears as if the main driver for both those guys recently in the the past week and a half or so is just fastball location. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, for Steele looking through the game log in particular, you know, I think the one thing that you're going to want to see him continue to make strides on is the, the walk totals. Um, yep. you know, pretty consistently walking at least a few batters every game. Um, so that's something that you're going to want to see come down. Uh, you know, again, though, like if he's walking guys in order, you know, to avoid missing in certain areas, you know, that may be par for the course. But, you know, these are the kinds of things uh, that you want to see him continue to work on, and you have plenty of time to work on them. So, uh, you know, in this month, in June, he's got two starts where he went seven innings, and then the start against the Braves on Saturday where he goes five innings. So that's the other one, right? Like you look through the beginning of the year on his game log, it's a lot of, you know, three innings, four innings, five innings. So your length, cut those walks down. Uh, But to me, you know, really, Brendan, like the thing that stands out here um, is that to, to kind of bring it all full circle and like just look at the whole thing as like one big narrative, right? Like again, you had a your team on a 10 game losing streak, hottest team in baseball coming in and you got two really nice starts that resulted in W's from pitchers from your pipeline, right? That's the standout yeah. for me. They do not have to be either of them 
finished products or in their final form or you know having made every little tweak and adjustment to be at their absolute best at this moment that's what the rest of this year is for off season spring training etc as you head into 2023 but in a year where a lot has gone wrong some things have gone right etc that's a big deal and one of the things that we wanted to see can this team bring up pitchers have them start games and get winning results from them and that's what we saw this weekend that's what we saw and that's what we've been hoping to see for so many years now and you can criticize in years past how this is has has not happened how it's taking slow but we're seeing it now and like as I was thinking about the last episode because it was it, it was negative right like we're we're coming off of this like massive 10 game losing streak and you're trying to dissect how did we get here and everything and sometimes it's hard to hit the right tone where there are aspects of this team and of this organization and even of the coaching staff that deserve accolades that deserve attention for their success and i do think as we talked about now with the pitch lab or infrastructure whatever you want to call it at this point uh you're seeing those fruits bear and you're you're seeing at least a process make sense maybe ultimately they don't become what we hope they all become but at least a process is obvious and you're seeing these noticeable changes that are matching the recent success and that is why it, it should at least uh be interesting like as a fan like if if you go into next year in 2023 with keegan thompson and justin Steele as like legitimate starting pitching options that would exceed my expectations uh i was hoping just one of them would kind of pop out this year as that starting rotation candidate but it's possible at this point Corey, that like both of them might be in the discussion and at that point you may just kind of flip a coin but there's still so much time left in this season and that's why i think it's fun and really yeah. noteworthy to follow these guys because they they're going to do stuff that you just can't predict like if this keegan thompson slatter thing holds up like no one saw that coming and same thing for justin Steele. like no one saw a john lester phone call to david ross potentially change well i did well okay of course yeah. i know you and john just like text and he told you that that's what happened there but like no no one thought that a simple location change in justin Steele that dramatically that instantly would lead to success again these are small samples right so you want to see it play out over the course of the year but that's the process follow the process the results may follow the results may not follow but the more times they experiment with this and the more times you get more pitchers working on different things then it's possible that we do have legit guys pop out of nowhere yeah and it's it it is fun to watch as we mentioned like both of them just have that mentality about them they have that presence on the mound um I I think we're all rooting for all of the people who are on the Cubs we'd like them all to be good at baseball and succeed but I think these two guys in particular um it, it is a fun process to go along with and you know I think we'd all like the stakes to be bigger but it's easier to do this when the stakes are so low uh because you are able to just kind of get behind these guys and root for these things to succeed they're putting in the work like and you you see it right they're they're changing things they're working on uh, pitch types repertoires sequencing location all this stuff and you know sometimes you are going to have those uh you know that that Cincinnati outing for Justin Steele or that Yankees outing for Keegan Thompson but that's part of the process right like the losses right now don't really matter but the process is what matters and like you see that start from Keegan on Friday you see some of those, you know, big strikeout starts against the Diamondbacks for Justin Steele, him gutting out that fifth inning on Saturday, and you start to sort of like see the wheels in motion, right? Like these guys are putting in the work and the results are, they're they're coming. They're, they're different and you're not exactly where you'd like the finished product to be, but we've got, you know, what, three more months of this season? I want to see him get there, Brendan. Like it, it, it just it sets up some really cool stuff as we go along in this season. Like if you have these guys continuing to make these adjustments, continuing to get better, continuing to cross off some of those like career milestones, right? With Keegan, you know, setting a whiff record for himself, things like that. Like if you keep making these strides, like some of their starts in August, September, like they have the potential to be really, really cool. And just I, I think moments we look back on going forward whenever the next great Cubs team shows up if these guys are a part of it in the role that they're kind of gunning for like the starts later in this year are going to be the ones where we look back on 
And maybe it's even that Friday one for Keegan Thompson, where you look back a year from now or two years from now and you go, that was kind of the day that everything clicked. Like that was when it really kicked into gear and, you know, they go on a run and maybe put up some big time numbers here. Again, like you said, maybe it doesn't happen, right? But that's, this is the process that we're here for. This is the stuff that you want this year to be about. These guys getting a chance and showing you those moments where it's like, okay, like maybe this is working. Maybe this is happening a little bit, right? Yeah, when you think about what can happen in the next three months, there are so many possibilities. One, you could get more pitchers up on this team to kind of go through that iteration process that that Keegan and Justin are both doing. But also, you might see both Keegan and Justin continue to develop, right? And there's so many more opportunities for those two guys to try new things and experiment and find what works for them and what doesn't work for them and get into travel grooves where both those guys start to perform better on the road. Justin Steele has also struggled on the road, Corey. I believe last time I saw his ERA was like over five or maybe even higher on the road. So again, these are human beings. These are young, uh, young kids uh, getting into the groove of things. So this is really important for them. And as a fan, I think one theme that we're seeing a lot just from like our YouTube chats and in watching, uh, you know, Cody, Luke, Ryan, Jared, all those guys um, talk about it. Like you, you see a lot of the conversation of like, you know, wins don't matter or, or anything like that. And, you know, people are going to wash a team and root however they want to root for the Cubs, which is totally, you know, fair and fine. But I, I do think this is probably the most important part of the season at this point is getting this rotation in a state that seems projectable. And that includes yeah. Kyle, that includes Justin, includes Keegan, includes Killian, who we're going to see this week. Like to me, I have to have a good idea. This is just my, this is just like my like fan. Personally, I need to understand what we have in this rotation going into 2023 by September, like the first week of September, I have to have a good idea. And I do think we're going to get that answer. And that to me is really exciting. Okay, another break here from our sponsor, PointsBet. If you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you will receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. And if you have any questions, email PointsBet at allchgo.com and we'll help you out. Online signup is now available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sports book that's now easier than ever so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Brendan. So let's talk a little Kyle Hendricks. The people are going to want to know. Okay. Um, I I don't know if you have any uh, anything new or, or revolutionary to add here. It was an interesting outing for Kyle. Uh, four and a third, eight hits, six earned, one walk, and six strikeouts. So the strikeouts were there. Some of the whiffs were there. And after he gave up the three-run homer to Darno in the first inning. He really did settle down uh, until that fifth inning where he gave up uh, another three, another home run. Um, So it's not as though he was getting knocked all over the ballpark. You know, we've seen some of those starts where it's a, you know, it's, it's an inning or an inning and a third and it's exit velo off the charts on every, every ball. And, you know, the walks are high. There's no strikeouts. It wasn't really that kind of outing. But unfortunately, it's uh, an outing that I think we've seen a little too frequently from Kyle in the last, you know, year plus, two years or so, something like that. I think it's the fourth time on the season that he's given up six runs uh, in a start, or at least six runs in a start. You know, so that's not good. Um, And as it stands right now, he's got a 5.43 ERA on the season. It was his sixth loss of the year. Um, what do you got? You know, this was coming yeah. off of what what kind of seemed like a, a bit of a bounce back outing uh, in his 
previous outing there against the Padres where he went five, gave up just four hits, one run, didn't walk any, and struck out six. So this was, uh, you know, again, the strikeouts were there, just the one walk, but did give up too many hits and a couple home runs, all told six runs. Yeah, I think the the margin for error, Kyle, is low. We talked about this. The good part about his start against the Braves is he got 12 whiffs. That's that's a pretty high number of whiffs. And the changeup, he got four whiffs on that pitch. He did spread out the whiffs with his other pitch types. He got two with his sinker, four on his curveball, which is good to see, and then two on his four-seam fastball. It's just that the home run he gave up was a fastball right down the middle with men on base, and you already put yourself behind when you give a home run that early in the game. So you can get all these whiffs, but with Kyle right now, it appears as if if he makes a few mistakes, he's getting punished. And for him, he wasn't doing that in in years past. He's a little bit more fine-tuned. Listening to Kyle after the game, and even in the last few months here, he's been really pounding his fastball command. I need to establish my fastball command. The fastball low and outside the zone, I need to establish that, so my, my change of plays off that. And clearly, you can tell he's not in that comfort zone where he, where he trusts or feels good about that fastball command. And I think we're seeing that on display when he gives up just a leaky fastball over the middle of the plate and it gets crushed. And then a few of the other extra base hits he did give up, like there was a double Dansby Swanson. It was on a, a curveball low below the strike zone. Dansby fished it out. There were a, a few other, there's one other double on a changeup that was located well. Um, down and into Matt Olson, and, and Olson had a double off that pitch. So, like some of the pitches, the Braves just hit, and they're good hitters, and it happens. But the real problem that we've seen with Kyle just from this start and in years past is he just has a little margin for error at this point. And does that change in the future? You know, the sample is getting larger, and I don't quite understand why the command has escaped him. I, I really don't. And I'm like, that makes me a little bit unsettled when you can't really find a reason to explain that. I think he's searching for that too. So as a result, like, I don't know if this is a thing that all of a sudden he'll get back or this is a thing that's like age related or just specific to his mechanics. I I really don't know, Corey. Um, And I guess that can be interpreted as like a good thing because maybe it can just click back, but because there's so much uncertainty, I hate that. So I don't, I don't know what to think with Kyle still. Yeah, I mean it's it it's it's weird. He's he's also you know not getting as many ground balls as he has in the rest of his career. Career yeah. low ground ball rate right now. Well, I think uh, I think just a pause on that. I don't sure. think that's like a uh, like oh he can't get ground balls anymore. I think that's a, stra- a strategic thing. Like he's throwing more four seams this year. He threw twenty uh, percent four seams against the Braves there, and he's locating his fastball up in the zone. So in the years past, like twenty sixteen. Um, you know, he threw way more sinkers and threw more sinkers low in the zone. So I think that's not him like sucking, if that makes sense. That's just like a strategic thing they're doing. Yeah, no, it certainly seems that way with you look at the, you know, kind of the way I think he, um, you know, they, it's, I think it's been written about a lot that the adjustments that he made to kind of combat, um, you know, some of the launch angle revolution type stuff. Uh, and you talk about this all the time, going yeah. up in the zone and, and changing that. It is just interesting. It's just such a stark difference, yeah. uh, right? Like it, it's a it's a career low ground ball rate, career high fly ball rate, um, and just a, a very stark uh, difference in those ratios. Looking at, at fan graphs right now, it's the first time in his career that his ground ball to fly ball ratio has been below one, right? right. 0.95 as opposed to every other year where it's above one, meaning he's obviously getting more ground balls per fly ball and that number is, is dropping. Um, so it's just interesting. Um, I think, you know, you kind of summed it up. I mean, he, he is always the type of guy that more than most, I have always trusted to try different things, switch things up, make adjustments and, and figure out a new way to kind of make things work. But that's a process, right? That's a process and it, it takes time and sometimes it's difficult to pull off. So I think, uh, unless there's some sort of major breakthrough in the stuff that he's working on or, or thinks he, he needs to be doing, or, or as you said, you know, sort of dialing in those mechanics a little bit more. I think this is just where we're at right now, where he's going to, 
He's going to spin some gems, right? You're going to get some really good starts out of him. And there's going to be starts where they look pretty good on the most part, but a few mistakes, especially like on Sunday against the Braves at the wrong time, right? He makes that mistake to Darno in the first inning with two guys on, and it's a three-run home run. There's going to be some games where, you know, you get lucky, you give up some solo home runs, et cetera, when you do make the mistakes. And that's just kind of where it is, you know? Um, We've seen that with some pitchers in the past. And, you know, especially for someone like Kyle, who on a day, if he's not fine on those corners, he's not dialing things, it doesn't feel like he's sort of pitching with the ball on a string, right? And just placing it wherever he wants. He's usually going to have to come over the plate a little more. And if a team like the Braves, especially, is ready for it, they're going to pounce on it. So I think that's just where it is at the moment that he has little margin for error. And there's going to be outings where that margin of error is tested and the overall lines don't look good but then you know hopefully you can come back out and spin a good one next time and you know you have to try to hopefully uh figure out how you can limit those outings it's just yeah it's just sort of where it is right now it's it's as you mentioned you know it's on it's unfortunately you know there was a lot of this last year too so it's it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a small sample um, and it's, you know, sometimes not an easy things to fix his, his career as a whole. And part of the reason that I think you and I going back to the whole time we've been doing this podcast have been amongst the loudest and biggest fans and defenders, et cetera, uh, of him is because he never got any credit for what he was doing because he didn't throw hard. But that's what was always so impressive about Kyle Hendricks is that he was so good at his game plan, his execution, and everything, that he made it work to the level that he nearly won a Cy Young, right? Right. Yeah. Like, he almost won a Cy Young the year the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, right? That's how good Kyle Hendricks was uh, at that time. And so, you know, I think what you're seeing now is that it, you know, it becomes harder to be so fine-tuned. The, the level of work that he was putting out there for years, right, was so impressive, not just in the the numbers, but how he was going about it and executing it. It's tough to do. Very and tough. as you get older, right, your 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 body, your mechanics, whatever, it, it's tougher to execute that on such a finely tuned basis as Kyle was for so long. Can he make some changes and, and improve upon where he was? I absolutely believe so, right? I do wonder, Brendan, you know, you remember there was that video, I think there's a good gif of him doing, it's either yoga or Pilates, I'm not really (laughs) entirely sure on the difference, with Kelly Krul on NBC Mm -hmm. Chicago. Do Mm -hmm. you think he's still doing that, and does he need to get back to that? Has anybody looked into that? Yeah. You're over here trying to figure out, should he be throwing a harder breaking pitch, a slider, blah, blah, blah. I'm asking the real questions, right? Is he stretching enough? Does he need to stretch more? I think that's Yes. Is he still doing yoga? Yeah. Is he a Zen? Does that have anything to do with it? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, I, you know, I don't like watching Kyle struggle. He's a Cubs legend. The The string of baseball that he put together, um, you know, really from like 2014 to, I mean, he was great in the shortened season in 2020, if you want to count that. Um, just some of the best pitching we've ever seen. Um, yeah. So I don't, I hate watching him struggle, uh, but, you know, just kind of is where it is right now. Um, so, transitioning very pitching heavy episode here a couple news and notes before we preview this series going to do a little bit longer of a a preview because I want to talk about Caleb Killian a little bit in and kind of preview that start on Monday because we didn't get to talk to him because we were screaming uh, about the state of the organization the last time we were on the air. Seiya Suzuki headed to Arizona to continue uh, kind of ramping up and getting in some activity, so that should be uh, good news. I think everything that they're saying on that is, you know, as soon as he can get through things pain-free and, and all of that, he should be good to go, but obviously he's been out a little bit now, so kind of got to get back up to game speed and see some pitching, do some workouts, things like that, so he's going to go to Arizona to do that. Clint Frazier accepts his assignment after he was DFA'd, so he stays in the Cubs organization. Um, I know you were a little surprised that he passed through waivers and even that he, you know, kind of accepted the the decision um, after not getting playing time with the Cubs, but I'm glad he's still in the organization. Like, go, go to Iowa, kill it, hopefully at some point, right? The Cubs managed to find a way to play uh, a 27 year old player with with a, you know some potential if he does put in that work in Iowa. Uh, but that is the state of that. 
And I think that's uh, about it on the roster stuff. Like I said, they they do have to trim that 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 roster at some point. So you know, keep your eyes on the beat, especially if you're listening to this early Monday morning for when some of those decisions uh, start to come out. And as always, there's kind of looming stuff. Like David Bodie, I think had a really nice day uh, on Sunday with a couple of hits. So possible that they it seemed like we were minutes away from him rejoining the team before he experienced some dizziness. So it appears that he's back. Seems like he's doing well. So I'm assuming that they're going to follow through with wanting to see what he has. So keep an eye on that. Um, that's some of the housekeeping for you as you go into Monday. But Brendan, let's uh, let's preview this series here. I'll let you read the probables, and then we're going to take a, a sort of extended pause on that, that Killian start um, on Monday to kind of talk about last time a little bit and, and what we're really looking for uh, in his now third start at the Major League level on Monday. Yeah, so we have the Pittsburgh Pirates. Coming up here, the Cubs will travel to Pittsburgh for a four-game set, and that first game starts Monday at 6.05 p.m. We have Caleb Killian on the mound for the Cubs. Making his third start, they'll be facing Brubaker for the Pirates. He's 0-7 with a 4.5 ERA. And then on Tuesday, another 6.05 p.m. start time. Swarmer pitching for the Cubs. He's 1-2 with a 5.23 ERA as of late Sunday evening, the Pirates have not announced a starter for that Tuesday game. On Wednesday, we have Keegan Thompson pitching. We have another Thompson pitching for Pittsburgh. Keegan is 6-2. I know, the, the Thompson matchup, Corey. The Thompson Bowl. I know, we'll see. Cool. Uh, I think Keegan uh, has the upper hand here. So Keegan is 6-2, 3.27 ERA. The other Thompson is 3-5 with a 4.47. Loser has to change their last name. Ooh, it's all on the line, high. folks. Uh, that game starts at 6.05 p.m. And then on Thursday, really early start time, 11.35 a.m., Justin Steele pitching for the Cubs. Ugh. Those are my least favorite. And I know for you on the West Coast, but like even, even in Chicago, like— get out of here i know with I know. that well before uh, noon oh, I, Brendan? Got, I got more bad news for you Corey. i got more bad news for you i don't want it uh, jose quintana pitching that day oh god <laughs> so that's that's what we got um i mean we'll get into caleb here in a few seconds but just uh just generally this will be a fun pitching series i mean justin Steele, keegan thompson swarmer Killian, you know, Swarmer's gotten roughed up here in the past few starts, but we know that slider is particularly interesting. And maybe because he is a two-pitch pitcher, if he keeps getting more opportunities, maybe he throws uh, and develops a new pitch, right? So just keep watching how these guys develop. You want to see Keegan um, kind of snowball off those high four seams, continue to get the whiffs. We actually talked about this on, on the last episode, not to backtrack too much, or maybe it was two episodes ago. Like Keegan Thompson's whiff rate is basically league average this year, which doesn't make, I mean, it makes sense, but the potential seems higher for more whiffs just because his stuff grades exceptionally well on like all the machine learning stuff graders. So you imagine that at some point the whiffs will follow. So I don't know, this, the thought came to me that, um, you know, as the season goes along here, the, the whiffs actually will start to follow and, and back up the stuff that he does have. So that's yeah. what I got. And then uh, we have Keo Killian, Corey. Yeah, and in particular for me, I mean, I'm obviously anytime Killian's out there at this point, that's kind of taking center stage for me. But I'm I'm looking for it. I'm I'm really hoping that Steele and Thompson can kind of follow up what they did this weekend and like go rack up some nice numbers against the Pirates. You know what I mean? Yeah, like let's get those ERAs down. Let's yep, let's yep. cut down on the walks for Steele. Let's really kind of bulk up some of these numbers here against the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, far be it from us to look down at the Pittsburgh <laughs> Pirates, but. You know, the 10-game the losing streak was so last week, right? The Cubs are hot, it. folks. It's a new week. We're going to Pittsburgh. We got our number one pitching prospect on the hill. The the 10-game losing streak, Cubs, is is so yesterday, right? This is a, a new group. I no, know. Um, I'm, feel, I'm feeling the wild card is right right there. For okay. The <laughs> All right. Okay. As Cody always says, don't, don't let me start, right? Yeah. Like, don't let me think there's a chance. Uh, um, all right. So, Caleb Killian. Yeah. Yeah. So... In in the last outing, right, the the command had completely escaped him, um, and so what are we looking for to uh, on on Monday sure. night in Pittsburgh 
in terms of, you know, what you want to see differently maybe from that game, but also just in the context, right, of like, I think that first outing against St. Louis was successful, uh, you know, re- real trouble with the command uh, on a hot night at Wrigley against the Padres. Um, and, you know, as always, not to make excuses, but like looking at this start in Pittsburgh as a reminder, like this is third major league start, yeah, right? Yeah. So this is all the, the beginning of what is hopefully a long and successful, successful career. Like what do we want to see that just makes us feel good bouncing back from the San Diego start in terms of his overall development, right? Like obviously if he goes out and gives you a quality start or throws seven shutout innings. Like, yeah, duh, we feel good about that. But on a, yeah. on a more simple basis, like what do we just want to see that kind of reverses script from last time and just kind of pushes us back in the right direction here? Command, that's it. Uh, I think the pitch breakdown is going to be what it is for now. It's going to be heavy sinker, heavy four-seam, heavy cutter. Ideally, in the long term, you want to see him get more comfortable with the slider and the curveball to generate more whiffs. But kind of how we're seeing with Keegan and Justice Steele, there needs to be a base at this point. And for Killian against the Padres, it was hot that night, as you said, Corey, against right-handed batters. If you look at where he threw his sinkers, just from uh, you know the baseball savant illustrator, most of those sinkers were all located with poor command. There were, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight sinkers thrown way up and in to right-handed batters. And you saw it play out, like even when you're watching the game. And then there were several uh, sinkers, about five here thrown over the heart of the plate. And only a few were thrown on the edges. When I say few, I mean three pitches, three sinkers. So that was a big problem for Killian's. This is someone who's had pristine command throughout his development, uh, walking guys at an under two walk per nine rate. So that has been a little bit weird for Caleb, but the weather conditions, the adrenaline, the new team, like everything considered, eventually you have to imagine that's going to calm down for him. Um, Now, if we look at, I wanted to bring this up last podcast, but we kind of got carried away. If you look at his overall stuff, this is where I think um, is a big encouragement his stuff is being graded really well. So, for example, if you look at his curveball, which I hope he ends up throwing a little bit more here as time progresses, but his curveball from a stuff plus perspective rates as a 60 out of 80, one standard deviation above the rest of his pitchers. That, that's a big deal, Corey. And then you look at his cutter, it grades as a 55 on the 80 scale, which is also better than league average. Currently, his four-seam grades as a 50, um, but he does have good command. And if the command does carry over, then the overall usefulness of that pitch is uh at this point, likely to be above average. And then a sinker, it grades about league average at this point. And these are still small sample sizes. These numbers can change. There was one tweet uh, after his first start that said, hey, Killian's stuff is actually grading below league average. That ended up not being true, as we're seeing now. And the minor league data did back that up, um, that his stuff is better than league average. So it's good that we're seeing that. But for me, it's just fastball command, sinker command, uh, over time, maybe even this start, throw more curveballs, and then getting really ambitious, if you allow me to be more ambitious, he has worked on a changeup. He has not thrown m- many changeups at all this this season, from talking to the minor league guys like Greg Huss. Um, but he does have that pitch in his back pocket. So maybe as the season does go along, he's more comfortable. Again, this is being ambitious, but he may hopefully start to throw more change-ups. And I think that is a matter of time once he gets more settled in. But stuff is really good. Command has always been there. Just needs to be a little bit more improved in this upcoming start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like I, I'm I'm cool with seeing something similar to what we saw against St. Louis. You know, uh, get through five or six if you give up a, a couple runs, like that's fine, right? He's just trying to get his footing in the majors, like settle into being a major league starting pitcher and, you know, just continue giving the the staff here that that kind of confidence and, and those, uh, you know, reasons like, yeah, let's just keep this guy up, right? Like you, you just keep him up, let him keep working through things here 
you know, and nothing that sort of has anybody questioning like, hey, does he need more time in Iowa, right? Like that's what I'm really just just looking for. Um, and as you mentioned, I think, you know, you could clearly tell in that start against the Padres that the feel for the breaking stuff wasn't there, right? He tried to spin off a few and they missed badly. Like the feel just wasn't there, right? Whether it was the, the heat, the balls, whatever, Ryan Weathers, the Padres starter also had some command issues. So who knows, right? Uh, but obviously he's going to be more effective when he's able to use those pitches and command them for strikes and command them to get whiffs in the way that he wants. Uh, so how many of them he tries to throw, etc. not sure, but hoping that he just has more of a feel for them to at least be able to mix them in and lean on them in certain spots. Um, but yeah, like that's just, you know, uh, a nice start. As I said in the in the pregame when I did it with Luke and Cody uh, before that San Diego started, obviously didn't turn out that way. Um, but like, you know, big for me, I would be over the moon, like let's shoot for a quality start, right? Let's get through six, give up three or less. That'd be great, right? And I think Luke said this at the time, give a little either way, right? If he goes five, but only gives up one run, goes six and a third, six and two thirds, but gives up four runs, fine, right? Just a nice start where you can kind of feel like, hey, this guy's coming into his own. He's settling in as an MLB starting pitcher. I would feel really great about that. Obviously, you know, you said, can I be ambitious? And I'll allow it. I'll allow you to be Only for this episode. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If I can be ambitious. Oh, I don't know. um, I don't know. Can we both be ambitious at the same time? No, I mean, I'm I'm just saying like, yeah, like quality start, I'd be over the moon for him to go and do that in his third start. (laughs) Okay. like, you know, no duh, right? Like, go throw eight shutout innings. Wow, eight. I I mean, six or seven, I thought was kind of pushing it. Eight, all right, let's see. Yeah. Seven would be, yeah, seven seems more realistic, but- yeah, I mean, like, obviously, if he goes out and dominates, like, that's what we're all sitting here waiting for, you know? Like, <laughs> Let's go. of course, you yeah. know, but I think we're trying to just have measured expectations as he as he sort of settles in here. But, yeah, sure, like, to go throw a no-hitter, How dude. How about a complete you know? game shot? At? That'd be sick, man. Yeah, why not? I think that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Why not just go I, <laughs> Hot take, but I am pro. Count me in the pro column for Caleb Killian throwing a no-hitter on Monday night. Crazy, oh, I know. So now we're a no-hitter. What about perfect game, Corey? How yeah. about that? There you go. He's up. the best pitcher in the history of baseball. <laughs> it's it's starting on Monday. Um, uh, you know it's late at night when we're doing this. Like when we're like optimistic, then, you know, something's wrong with us. Well. I know. Yeah. You and I, ever the Look at rose-colored us. glasses, you know, that's us. Always. Um, if yeah, you were to compare like our last episode with this one, you think we're just two mentally in- unstable individuals. But maybe aren't we are. We? Yeah, That's aren't true. we? Yeesh. Who's saying we're not? Yeah, this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's what we have for you. Um, it should be hopefully a, a good series there in Pittsburgh for four. Uh, as always, don't miss. Uh, it should be Luke, Cody, and Ryan there for you in studio on Monday for your pre- and post-game needs to start this Pittsburgh series off, so be sure to tune in for that. We appreciate your support of not just the CHGO Cubs podcast, but everything going on at CHGO, the live shows, post-game shows on YouTube, all of the podcasts covering every team in Chicago. So we appreciate your continued support of that, and of course, we appreciate you listening to and supporting the CHGO Cubs podcast. A programming note, Brendan and I will be with you after Friday's game to start the St. Louis series, Uh, so not our normal slot after the Pirates series finishes up, just some scheduling stuff uh, for uh, everyone involved. Uh, need to move that one, uh, but, you know, should follow pretty much a, a similar format. Uh, we'll take a look at everything that's interesting and, and worth breaking down in the last few days prior to that, but join us on Friday night, not Thursday night, for your next uh, Corey and Brendan podcast. Uh, we appreciate your support. We will talk to you again soon, and as always, go Cubs.